You know, after uh, almost 37 years of ministry, and after a while you get wondering, you know, are you just coming up with messages? Is it just your own little deal that you're doing? And, you know, it's always kind of nice to have a little bit of a confirmation once in a while. And I want to talk to you this, this morning about surrendering all. The title of it is I Surrender All. And I don't know if you noticed about it, the, the first two songs that we sang um, this morning, they're all talking about uh, surrendering to Him, giving more to Him, allowing Him to be in control of, of our lives. And you know, <clears throat> you know the one um, presentation that was given, you know, it, it was kind of showing how, um, how sin is a progressive thing. You know, like, like Donna said, we don't just fall into it and, and that's the end of it, but it's, it's a progressive thing. It begins to get a hold of our life and, and as we allow it to get a hold of our life, it, it, it controls us, and, you know, as any habit or whatever we'd want to call it. But, you know, the devil is, he's a perverter. He's never created anything. And so a lot of times we can look at his methods and if we reverse it, we begin to see that's how God works in our life too. You know, the moment that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my, my life wasn't totally changed. It would have been nice if it would have been. You know, but there were things that I had to deal with. But as I continuously and progressively walked with God, my life began to change. And that's how it is for all of us. And so I want to talk with surrendering all. When I'm talking about that, it's not that all at once we just, we just surrender everything. Remember years back, an individual had called me and wanted to know if I wanted to go for a road trip with him. And so we, we went driving someplace, and as we're driving down the road, he, he, he said to me, he says, Pastor Dave, I finally got there. I says, well, what do you mean? He says, I'm, I'm finally there. I'm, I'm finally at the point where, where Jesus is in control of everything in my life and I'm ready to die for him. And I says, well, praise the Lord. I said, I hope and believe I am. But the only way that I'll ever know for sure that I'm ready to die for Jesus is for the opportunity to be there. And I don't know about you, I'm not believing for that right now. But see, the thing about it is, is that individual, since that point in time, has, has gone through all kinds of junk and walked away from God to some degree. I believe he's back with them now and so forth. But you know what? <clears throat> the most dangerous place that you can ever be in your spiritual walk is to think that you've arrived. To think that you're at the place where, where you don't have to be concerned about any attack of the enemy, the, the temptations that come our way, because we may not be of the world, but we're still in the world. And because we're in the world, the temptations that the world has to offer are still trying to come against us. And so if you'll turn with me to, it'll be up on the overhead as well, but uh, in, in James, the fourth chapter, now I want to begin reading from the verse, first verse, and it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you. 
Do you not come from do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? In other words, there, there's, there's a battle that's taking place on the inside of us that, that, that it's coming from the outside, but wants to get inside of us, and it's warring against us. It's trying to continually pull us away from where we know we need to be. Because our spirit man knows where we need to be. We need to be in the presence of God. And everything in this world, the flesh and the devil, it's around us and it's trying to pull us out of that place to get us to, to, to fall, to get us into that place that will ultimately lead to destruction in our life. Verse 2, you lust um, and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and, do, and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. In other words, you ask, but you don't get it, and it's because you ask the wrong thing. It's because we, we ask selfishly. We ask because we want it for ourselves, for our own pleasures. Adulteress and adulterers, do you not know that your friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world cannot himself, uh, uh, a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't know about you, I don't want to be an enemy of God. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you this morning for this opportunity that we have to come together in the name of Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would bless this time, that everything that's said and done will be, that it will be to your honor and to your glory. And Father, we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, all we have to do is look at any of the social media, look at the news, look at the environment around us, and what do we see? We see discord, we see hate, we see people rising up against one another, and, and, and why is that? It's because oftentimes we're, we're yielding more to the world than we are to the things of God. Um, but for us, it's good for us to know that the answer to all this hatred and the things that we see in the world, it's, it's, never, gonna, it's never changed. In Romans 8, 39, the end of the verse says, and it's the love of Christ which is in Christ Jesus. You see, that's the, that's the answer for everything. You know, we, we, we see all this stuff around us. But the answer is always Jesus. And it's not just <clears throat> a momentary encounter with Jesus, but it's, there has to be a stick to itness. You understand what I mean by that? There has to be a stick to itness that we, 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 we recognize what Jesus has done in our life, but then we continue to walk in that, we continue to grow in that. You know, we go into the prisons and, and there's, Something you always hear about, they, they call it jailhouse religion. And, and, and what it refers to is that, that people oftentimes, because they're in this state in their life, uh, all at once they, they turn to God. And, they, and because they're in prison, they call it jailhouse religion because oftentimes what they're doing is they're just, they're just trying to fix the moment. You know, <clears throat> I'm the uh, unofficial official um, chaplain at, at the county jail here. 
And so in the last week, I've, I, don't, I don't remember now, there's, there's either, not, not just last week, the week, last week and a half, I've been called up there, it's either four or five times to, to meet with individuals that, that wanna, you know, turn their life over to Jesus. But the thing that you find out after you've done this for a while is that for the majority of them, uh, this is the second, third, fourth time that they've done that because every time they've been in jail, they've, they've done that. The answer is, and you see, we look at it as jailhouse religion, but you know, it's true in every one of our lives, every one of us, because oftentimes we, we hit that point of crisis we hit a point where there's difficulty in our life. And what do we do? At that point, we make this determination, now I need to be serious about God, because stuff is serious. Let me tell you something. The best time to get serious with God is when things are going good. Because when you have to be serious, it's already a part of you. It isn't something that you've got to work up at that point in time. And so what I want to share with you today is that we need to get to the point to where we surrender all to Jesus. But it's not something that we do one time and then that's the end of it. It's something that is a part of our life. Every moment of every day, we surrender ourselves unto Jesus and to his goodness. That we get into a deeper and deeper commitment and relationship with him. In Romans, the eighth chapter, and I know I read from there from the 39th verse, but I want to I back up to the 37th verse. Romans 8, 37. And it says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And what he's talking about is all this stuff of the world that comes against us. You know, <clears throat> I used to think, if I'm really walking in faith, you know, because this is kind of what was inferred in some of the early faith teachings that we heard, that if we're really walking in faith, we're never going to have any problems, we're never going to have any difficulties in life. Well, I came to this conclusion. Either they lied to me, or I'm a real screw-up. Because my life was, without, was not without difficulty. But I began to realize something. What faith does, it doesn't mean that we're never going to have any difficulty and we're never going to go through crisis in our life. But it gives us all the tools that are necessary for us to live the victorious life. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of crisis, we can be overcomers in the midst of it. But oftentimes we think to be overcomers, it means we have to be totally free of any difficulty in life. No, 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 no. The difficulties are going to come our way. That just means we're still sucking air. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But difficulties are going to come our way, but we can have the victory. And so, here where he says, yet in all these things, whatever the thing is that you're having to go through then, right now, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, who loves us. That last two words there, loved us. So important, this is what I want to focus on today, is that God loves us. 
You know, in the church, by this time after the church has been around for 2,000 years, and God is love, you would think we would have gotten a hold of this. You would think within the church we would handle, we would have a handle on, on the whole concept of God's unconditional love for us. But you know, we don't. And the problem with it is, is if, if we don't understand how much God loves us, it's an impossibility. Not difficult. It's an impossibility for us to love one another. It's an impossibility for us to truly love God until we have a revelation of the depth of the love that God has for each and every one of us. Now, it's one thing for you to know that God loves us. It's another thing for you to know that God loves you. And that's the revelation that each and every one of us have to come to, is that revelation, that realization that God loves me totally, unconditionally. Notice what he, what, as we read on here in Romans 8, in the 38th verse, Paul says, I am persuaded. There's things in life that we need to be persuaded of. He says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. In other words, if I didn't mention it here, and it's a created thing, it's, a, it's included. And so do you know what that means? That means everything. Because God created everything. And so everything is included in this. And he says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall what? Shall separate us from the love of God. Guess what? Your mess up. You're avoiding God. You're not spending enough time in prayer. It doesn't separate you from God because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, praise the Lord. We went to church today and Pastor Dave said, I don't have to pray. I don't have to worry about any of the things that I'm doing wrong. I can just continue to do it. I didn't say that. I said it can't separate you from him, though. You know, but for just two or three passages, I'd be an eternal securitist. That means you believe that you're saved eternally, that there's absolutely nothing that can happen. You know, I, I want to be. I'm an eternal securitist wannabe. I want to be. But there's just a couple of passages that keep me from that. But if you read those passages, the thing that you find out is the only thing that can ever separate you from the love of Christ once you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior is if you choose to reject Him and walk away from Him. Now, I happen to think you're pretty stupid if you do that. But we can if we want to. I don't know about you. As for me, in my household, we've committed ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lordship of Jesus, and we're not going to walk away from Him. But it says here that we need to know something. We need to be assured of something. We need to be persuaded of something. And what we need to be persuaded of is the depth of God's love for each and every one of us. 
I want you to turn back over to James again. I read an article on this and it just took me back. I had to really think on it. It challenged me. In, in James, the fourth chapter, the fifth verse. If nothing you read ever challenges you, you need to read something different. Or maybe read. <laughs> Praise the Lord. James 4, 5, it says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who, yields, who, who dwells in us yearns jealously. Look at the first part of that. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain? You know, I looked that word vain there up in, in the Webster's Dictionary, and this is what it said. Having no real value. Look at this again. Do you think that the scripture says has no value? You know, there's a lot of people that think what the scripture says, there is no value in it. Let me tell you something, the most valuable thing you'll ever receive in your life is not gonna be jewelry, it's not going to be a new car. It's not going to be a new home, house. It's not going to be the perfect job. It's going to be what the Scripture says about you. If you want to know what true riches are, true riches is knowing what the Scripture says about you. And not just simply knowing it intellectually, but knowing down in your heart what the Scripture says about you. And so, Having no real value, idle, worthless. Some people think that what the scripture says is absolutely worthless. They think they know better than what the scripture says about their lives. And so what they do is they, they begin to tear portions of the scripture right out of the book. Because it has no value, it's worthless in their eyes. The simplicity of the Word of God. I believe in studying the Word. I believe in digging into the Word and, and going to do it here today, use a couple of Greek words and so forth. But you know what? It's the simplicity of the Word that has its, its greatest impact upon your life and my life. When I see what the Word says in its most simple form, and I'm able to take it and apply it in my life. That's where victory truly rises up. Um, having no real value, idle, worthless, marked by futility, unsuccessful, useless, foolish, silly. You become a man or a woman of the Word of God, and people will think you're foolish, they'll think you're silly. You begin to quote the, the scriptures in a, in a difficult situation. And they'll, they'll begin to think that there's something wrong with you because there is no value 
in those words. But let me tell you once again, they're the most valuable thing you'll ever find. Do you consider the scripture to be saying, the spirit who dwells in us yields jealously, jealously, that is he, he in vain, silly, worthless. No, it's of value. But I want to take it a step further. And before I get done here, I don't want you to start throwing your Bibles at me or screaming and yelling at me and walking out or anything. Let me, let me finish what I'm about to say because what I'm about to read here is actually what the Bible says in the King James Version. So I will read this scripture again, only I want to read it from the King James Version. Remember what the New King James says. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. That's got a little punch to it. But listen to this in the King James Version. Do you think that the scripture hath said, uh, saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Whew, that went right over everybody's head. You realize what it just said here? It said, the Holy Spirit lusteth. Well, Pastor Dave, you know, the whole, surely the Holy Spirit doesn't lust. Now, like I said, hang in here with me. You know, um, I want us to focus, I'm going to use the King James Version, just simply because it, it amplifies, it, it makes it so much stronger than, uh, what, what, what's it say in the King James? Um, yearneth, yearns. Something about lusteth is just stronger than yearns. Lusteth yearns. You understand what I'm saying? Lusteth yearns. And so it, it just gives you a, a different picture. It says that the Holy Spirit yearns or lusteth. And so what is he lusteth after? The thing I want us to say is, you know, usually when we think of lust, we think of it from a very negative connotation. Amen? You know, when, 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 when does you ever hear somebody say, well, that, that person is lusting. Said, well, praise the Lord. You know, that, that, that just isn't, isn't how, how it works. If, if we hear that somebody is lusting something, we immediately, oh, my. We, we, need to, we need to pray for them. You know, but it's talking here about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the Holy Spirit lusting or lusteth and we know that the Holy Spirit is, is healthy and he's holy. Amen. Amen. He is holy. He's healthy. Listen to what it says in Romans 1.4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. He, has a, he is the Spirit of holiness. And so what, what's happened to us is we've taken that, that word lusteth or lust 
and we've given it a totally negative connotation and we, we think of somebody, especially with sexual sin and so forth, we, we see that person as somebody who lusts. But what I want to do is I, I want to take us back and let's, let's look at it. I don't do this often, but, but this morning I want to look at that word in the Greek. In the Greek it's um, epi palse, uh, E-P-I-P-O-T-H-E-O. And it means, it's, it's a compound word. And the second part of the word is pulse, and it means intense desire or yearning. It's talking about having an intense desiring or yearning for something. And then epe, E-P-I, it just simply adds force to that, to that meaning. And so when we think of somebody having a intense desire for something, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll identify that with, with somebody that's a, that's a drug addict. That is, that is daily after their fix. And if they, if they don't get that, that fix, every thought of their mind, everything within them yearns for that chemical that's going to satisfy that need that they have in their life. You see it where, where people, when they, they haven't gotten their fix, when they need their fix, they'll be buckled over and they'll have, they, they can hardly even function because there's such a yearning for that fix in their life. And until they get that fix, they stay in that state. Unless they get totally set free from it. They're consumed by the need of that fix. We see it used in, you know, people that are addicted to sexual activity. You know, and the, the thing about it is, is we, we've, we've given this definition of, of lust, is love uh, is consumed with need, meeting the needs of others. Lust is consumed by having your need met. And I believe that by and large that is really, that, 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 that's true. But we're, we're beginning to see here that there's, there's another element in it. There's this, this consuming desire for something. And so you take a person that has a problem with uh, sexual addictions and so forth, they're consumed by having a, a new experience. And they're, they're, they're never satisfied. You know, and that's what we see about addictions. It doesn't matter how much they get of whatever it is that they're addicted to, it never satisfies. It's, it's never enough. It's, it's always temporal. Because there's always a need for for more. But it's interesting. It's almost beyond our ability to comprehend that James would use this word to describe the Holy Spirit. That he lusts. Or that there's this burning desire there's this burning yearning 
on the inside of him. And it says that it's a jealousy for you and I. Think about this for a moment. The Holy Spirit has a yearning jealousy for you. And the jealousy that is talking about, because prior to this, he's talking about us giving ourselves to the world or, or committing adultery, being adulterers and adulteresses with the world. And what's he talking about there? He's saying, we're allowing the world to have more of us than he gets. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is, what he wants is all of us. Listen to this, it's in James 4.4. 4. And it says, adulterers and adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be friends of the world makes himself an enemy to God. In other words, you know, Pastor Becky and I, we've been married for eons. But I have a yearning jealousy for her. And by that, what I mean is I want our relationship to always grow. Even after 40-some-odd years, I want it to grow. And she's my wife. You understand what I'm saying? She's, she's my wife. If you don't understand that, I'll explain to you after the service. But she's my wife. And I have this yearning for her as my wife. And she doesn't belong to anybody else as their wife. She's my wife. That's how it is in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. He has this lust. He has this yearning jealousy for you as a child of God. You don't belong to the world because you belong to Jesus. And in his yearning for you, it's never satisfied because he always wants more of you in his relationship with you. And what this is telling us, in our relationship with God, there is to be this yearning in our life, a yearning for more of Him. We don't come to church just simply because it's something we have to do. There ought to be a yearning for more of God. We ought not to just read our Bible and go through our devotions because that's my goal for the year. There ought to be a yearning for more of God that we're, we're never satisfied with where we're at. And that's where the title comes, I Surrender All. But it's a, it's a progressive surrender. We'll never be done surrendering. You know, I've served God for, been born again now for <laughs> decades. 
Didn't know if I'd ever be able to say that about activities in my life. But I've been doing it for decades. And many in this room, you've done the same thing. But you know what? We'll never be done surrendering. Because second by second, minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, he shows me more things in my life that need to be surrendered to him. You know, and so if you see something in my life that isn't right, don't worry about it. God will eventually get to it. And he'll get to it in your life too. Thank God he doesn't do it all at once. We'd be so overwhelmed, we'd never be able to cope. We'd give up and we'd quit. But he's continually drawing us closer and closer to him through the power and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because he wants to have this deeper relationship with you and I. The scripture talks about the Holy Spirit as being our helper, being our comforter. You know, and he does so many other things in our life. But you know what? His primary thing is to help us find Jesus as our Lord and Savior and then continue to help us focus upon him. Because it says we focus upon him, that we're going to grow in our Christian walk, that we're going we're to be able to worship or, or witness to others. We're going to be able to worship we're going to come to this place that we understand His Word. But it's all progressive. It doesn't happen overnight. And if we feel like we've arrived, we've missed it. We're so far off the mark that we probably need to get born again again, if that were possible. But we need to recognize that He's wanting to work in our life. But everything though the Holy Spirit does, is towards us. He's our indweller. He's our sealer. He's our sanctifier. He's the very power that brings us the new life through Christ Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. And so you begin to think about that because He indwells us it's no wonder that that word is used because it's such a strong word and he's trying to impart into our life. James, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to impart into our life how intense the Holy Spirit longs to have relationship with you and I. Because until we understand that, we won't have the same intensity towards our relationship with God. You know, the Bible says we're able to love because he first loved us. And so when we begin to understand the love of God, it isn't just knowing that God loves you. It's, it's knowing the depth that God loves you. We're able to love the sinners because we know that without the love of God in our life, it would have been totally impossible for you and I to be saved. I know that without Jesus, my life is hopeless and helpless. Without the Holy Spirit working in me and through me, 
It's impossible for me, for me to love as he's loved. Because see, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. While your life was hopeless and while my life was hopeless, Jesus gave his life for you and me. And the Holy Spirit came and he took up residence in each of our lives so that he could demonstrate and reveal to us and show us how much God truly loves us. And then in return, what we're able to do is we're able to reach out and love others. Where you and I are concerned, the Holy Ghost never gets enough of us. You may get enough of your boss, you may get enough of your spouse, you may not have enough your children up to here. But you know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't identify with that. Because He doesn't get enough of you. And you know what? That ought to be working in return for you and I that we don't get enough of the Holy Spirit. Gary shared with me just before the service that I think he said it's in is it the new Victory magazine? Uh, that uh, on the cover, <clears throat> there, there's a picture of David Crank. And uh, he said, Didn't, wasn't that somebody that you went to see one time or something? And Well, it wasn't this David Crank. It was his, his son. This is Junior. But when we were in Bible school, we would we'd move to Missouri for two years uh, to go to Bible school. And so uh, I was working a 40-hour week as a plumber and going to school at, at night. Uh, school was a night school. And then we had to do outreach ministry and so forth. And, and uh, you know, people sometimes complain about our church services being late. Uh, well... Down there, when we had our Sunday service, it was all morning and half the afternoon. One time, when the time changed, uh, we, we switched our clock, but we turned it, to the, turned it the wrong direction. And so instead of getting to church an hour uh, um, late, we, we got there two hours late. And we were still there for over 45 minutes of the service. And, uh, you know, but, but while we were there, it's when I got a hold of the, the Word of Faith message and I began to uh, read Brother Hagen's books and listen to his tapes and so forth. And, and the friends that we, we'd, we'd get together and we'd just, we'd just talk about these things and, you know, go to Bible school. And, you know, because I was reading Brother Hagen's books, I knew better than any of the instructors at the school. <clears throat> you know, I know none of you would ever fall into that category where you thought you knew better than somebody else, but I was younger, stupider, and so forth. But so then after we get through school, we'd sit in the car for another two hours and dissect everything that was, was taught that night. But then we heard about, we, we went to this um, Christian men's uh, meeting, 
I guess it was Christian businessmen's meeting. And uh, we heard this guy by the name of David Crank, and I'm sitting there, and he's a hillbilly from the hills of Missouri. And he starts talking, and I'm thinking, I'm already going to school three, four nights a week and doing all this other stuff. And now I come to hear this hillbilly. And he started to preach, and he, he preached on the, a message on the uh, sower sows the seed. And the first time I'd ever heard that message, I really preached. And by the end of the service, I was, I was ready to crawl out of my skin. I was so excited about what was being taught because it, it was what I needed to hear. And so in addition to, to going to school three, four nights a week and going to care group and, and going to church and all this other stuff, we started to drive into St. Louis one night a week so that we could hear this hillbilly from the hills of Missouri preach the Word of God. And he just, he'd just get up there and preach and, and he'd take notes and I'm, I'm writing as fast as I could because it's, it's stuff I'd never heard before. There was, this, there was this yearning on the inside of me. I had to have more. And I'd, I'd write, I'd take note after note. And, and it, <clears throat> remember, I graduated from high school reading at about a fourth or fifth grade level. And when I started going to Bible school, I had to learn to study because I'd never learned to study. And so taking notes was just totally foreign to me. But what was being said was so good, and I'm just writing down everything. And, and finally, this, this uh, Don Cooper writer was sitting next to me during one of the meetings, and he says, just, just calm down. And he hands me his Bible. He had a Kenneth Copeland Bible. He handed me his Bible, and he showed me the outline in the front of the Bible. And David Crank was preaching word and word for word right off of the outline. Made it a whole lot easier. You know, but the thing was there, was, there was this yearning. I didn't care if he was stealing from somebody else. It was truth. How excited are you about truth? So when there's something that comes up, oh, I gotta go through that again. Or are you excited about it? We ought to be excited about the things of God because of the truth. Because every time we get a new truth, Every time something is revealed to us that we haven't seen before, that means we're taking another step closer. It's not just another step in knowledge, but it's a step closer in our relationship with Jesus to understanding Him more fully than we've ever understood Him before. Do you realize that, that heaven will never get bored Boring, because God is so big. Remember, eternity has no beginning and it has no end. But God is so big throughout all eternity, we will never come to understanding Him fully because He is so big. I don't remember who I heard share this, but it, I, I think it was... Lester Summerall, I, I don't remember for sure, but he is talking about in, in the book of Revelation where it talks about the elders going around the throne of God. And every time they come around the throne of God, they fall down on their face and they say, holy, holy, holy are thou Lord God Almighty, holy to be praised and honored and, and so on and so forth. And he said in his teaching, now this was his theory, and I believe it, he says the reason they fall down 
Every time they fall, come in front of God is they see a side of God that they've never seen before. We're going to spend eternity seeing a side of God that we've never seen before. Coming to understand a new depth of God that we've never understood before. But you know what? He doesn't want to wait for us to get to heaven. He wants to reveal himself to us right now. And I believe that James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put that particular word there because he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit yearns jealously to have relationship with you and I to reveal to us a side of God that we've never seen before. But not just so that we can see, but so that within us there can be this yearning for others to know Jesus as we've not even come to know Him yet. But at the very least, that they may know His love as we've come to know His love. He loves us unconditionally. The Holy Spirit lusteth for you. I want you to meditate on that truth. Think about the fact that there's this yearning that the Holy Spirit has for you that'll never be satisfied. That means he'll never turn away from you. He'll never reject you because there is this constant yearning that he has for you and that he has for me. And what's required on our part? We surrender. You know, it used to be when they, in a lot of, especially Pentecostal churches, when they would have the altar call, one of the songs that they'd often play and sing was, I surrender all. I surrender all. And you know what? Today, we can make that decision to surrender all and mean it and yield to him. But do you know, tomorrow, you'll once again have to rise up and surrender all. Because tomorrow, there'll be the things of the flesh, the things of the world, and the devil that will try to pull you away from him, to distract you, to get your mind onto something else. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every moment of every day we're supposed to be walking around like zombies. I surrender to God. I surrender to God. I surrender to God. He didn't create us to be robots or stuff that we're involved in the world. But you know what? The stuff in the world should never separate us from our relationship with Jesus. The stuff of the world should never cause us to have to compromise what we believe about Jesus and about what he's doing in our life. So we surrender all to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit. You know the other thing that it does when we see it from this standpoint, gives us a greater appreciation 
of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us, who works that yearning. And so, Father, this morning, I don't know how to close, so I'm just going to quit. But we recognize that you love us. But we want to know more deeply the depth of that love that you have for us. First of all, so that we might be able to fully receive everything that you've done for us. But then, that we might be that channel, that vessel that touches others. Father, I pray for that yearning, that yearning for others, that, that desires for them to know you intimately and fully. Father, that we would recognize that without you, without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would be impossible. And the circumstances in our life would be impossible. But through you, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. Because you live in and abide within us to empower us to fulfill your plan and your purpose. And so today, as an act of our will, we surrender all knowing that we're going to be doing it again. But we do it today with all sincerity. And we say, Father, have your way. Have your way in our life. Have your way in our family. Have your way in our community. Have your way in everything that we touch. We pray it, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. And we give you praise. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.